Thank you again, Janet Lee. And you know the th- those things that when people play the organ or the piano and they press are called keys. And you definitely are a master of the keys. So thank you so much. And hello, everybody out there. This is Sunday, February the 7th, 2016. And we are here today for a an exciting, an exciting time with this word of Exodus Escape, part 14, which is also a continuation of part, uh, of, of the part 14, which was about a very interesting subject, as you know, and, um, and uh, you know, we called it Enchanted Holy Fire. So let me read the mail out, and uh, let's just uh, get into it. Is there such a thing as obtaining a victory at too great a cost? Sometimes a victory forced to happen in a hurry, based on a rush for an immediate time, destroys so much that even the person's to whom such a victory would mean the most, perish. In the escape event, of course. Whereas sometimes the allowance of time and a plot of cleverness could include the victory of escape, but in an unexpected, subtle way that provides the hope of safety for those seeking escape. This thing about using wisdom, this thing about being, being clever, uh, this concept of, uh, you know, uh, wanting to, um, to understand that as we get into this uh, part 15, uh, which, because it is part two of number 14, uh, it's a continuance of the subject that was in 14 uh, about Enchanted Holy Fire. But, of course, it is in itself a brand new uh, uh, part called 15. But, you know, uh, there, is, there is something very awesome and very important uh, in this series that we're doing on Exodus Escape. Because it is revealing the rel- the relevance, the importance, uh, the seriousness, the total comprehension availability of something that is a basis in a foundation way upon which the rest of the Testament and the New Testament can be built. Now, is there such a thing as obtaining a victory at too great of a cost? Well, people will say, well, you've got to be willing to lay down your life. You've got to be willing to, um, to give up everything. And there was a time in the early church when uh, some of the early church patriots our patriarchs were just out there sort of looking to be able to, 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 to die for the cause. And they just thought that, you know, 
they would be guaranteed a very high place in the next world if they could just die for the cause. And I suppose, you know, uh, in some religions today, that is an ongoing kind of idea. Uh, it is certainly not one that I have. Uh, I, um, I have no intentions of, of uh, dying for the cause. Uh, I might wear myself out for the cause, but I'm not going to go out there and die for it because I think that Jesus Christ did the dying. And he died for our sins. He died for our, our redemption. Uh, and and we, we live and we die in him. We are crucified with him. So if we really believe that, then we don't have to go out there and, and re-perform on a separate entity basis uh, that dying. I just want to make sure that some of you people understand that uh, the, in, the important thing right now is for God's people to live and to carry on. And so, uh, yeah, there can be uh, such a thing as obtaining a victory at too great of a cost. Um, uh, when you boil down that cost in its application to whom? Uh, if you're talking about you paying that cost, uh, and and then negating the fact that Jesus has already paid the cost, then that cost that you are paying is too great a cost. Because we don't need to negate the cost that Jesus made available and that he paid. And there's that old song, Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Jesus did pay it all, all to him we owe. Blessed be the name of God. So going on here with this um, <clears throat> presentation, what does this have to do with the Exodus escape? It has very much to do with Moses following the plan of the angels, unfolded to him regarding choosing the time, the circumstances, for the how and when the Exodus escape could avoid a major destruction of the souls, whom the Exodus escape was to benefit for. Now, we see in Exodus and in the uh, old uh, uh, text, uh, text part that was written by Moses, how that he speaks about that if they were not careful how they did this Exodus, that, uh, and, and the people went out there and they began to see that they were going to have war, uh, then they would be so terrified they would want to go back they would want to go back to Egypt. So, so that was understood. And, and so the protection of people's mentality was a consideration because it could be too much of a cost that those people uh, under their slavery and under their depression and, and the contention that they lived uh, were able spiritually or mentally uh, to, to confront. And so it was too great of a, co a cost for them for the state of mind and the condition they were in. And therefore, this was the reason why uh, God divided up the people. And you know, that was not new. That was a thing that they had done before. Uh, when Jacob uh, came back with his people and, and uh, he was going to be meeting Esau, his brother, that, that uh, you know, he had had a very rough departure from. And, and at the time, his brother Esau was so angry, he, he could have killed uh, Jacob. 
But uh, when Jacob came back, he, he divided uh, his, his uh, family into different groups, uh, some going ahead, some then following, and then finally his last uh, group at the very uh, uh, back in last entry. Uh, and there's other, there's other examples of that. It was a revelation that Moses had because after all, he wrote those, uh, those uh, books and God evidently revealed a lot of things to him, some of it through history, some of it through revelation. Uh, but the sequential aspect of it was a revelation from God and had intentions of being learned as the lessons from God. Uh, and, and that was important. It's important sometimes that we learn lessons from God. And we learn lessons from the Word of God and the instructions of God and the advice of God and the people that God uses to give that advice. When people decide to make all the decisions them, uh, themselves and they are not uh, trained for that, they are not uh, ready for that because they are blocked off by their own desires and they need to listen to someone uh, who is not caught up in those uh, personal desires and can give them uh, advice that, that is uh, totally not uh, bound with, with those problems. So... There is a lot to this, and it's very important to understand that that is one of the reasons why, in our revelation of, of, of Exodus, how that, that Moses only took the army. He led, the Bible says that he led them out with the army. It was the army that was chosen of over 600 young men. And, and, and up from, from, from an early age and up, that, were, were the, that was an army that went out through the wilderness, uh, the, the difficult, tough way. And, and um, it, it, this was not uh, uh, the rest of, of, of uh, the people of Israel who would go several other kinds of methods of, of uh, getting uh, on uh, into in, uh, the ultimate uh, meeting and, and land of Canaan. So we see that God is so wise. He is so wise in his provisions. Now, the Bible really introduces something so important that is, I would say, a leading insight, a leading revelation in this plan of the Exodus escape and in this plan of the divulge of information uh, via the Holy Spirit through Moses in these uh, books of Torah. And these wonderful writings revealed things like, like Mark, a Mark put on a person, and the Mark being so profound, like as Mark was put on Cain, and it was so profound that when people saw the Mark, no one would touch that person. And, and how that we're going to discover that that thing of the mark is a really, really major big thing. And it has to do with the, with the name of God and the revelation of the Tetragrammaton and, and the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'll see that as we get into this teaching. It's, it's absolutely utter important. 
and uh, this, these, these uh, revelations, uh, you know, are, are fascinating uh, because um, in the Old Testament, uh, there is a lot about spirit, a lot about spirit. And this thing about the spirit is major. If you don't understand this thing about the spirit, then you cannot keep up with what's, what's getting ready to happen out here in the world. Now, I've talked a few times about this scientific theory called entanglement. And uh, this, this was something that uh, Isaac Newton ran into. He didn't call it entanglement. Uh, but uh, with his uh, fluxions and, and, and some of his other discoveries, uh, he m says and mentions that he felt that, that the universe was connected, that what happened in one place was, was uh, understood to happen in other places. There, there was a connection between every motion, every action, everything that happened in the universe to each other. Well, guess what the Bible says? In First uh, Corinthians twelve twenty six, it says, "Whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it." Now, notice that uh, it instead of them, and that's because that when you really read the context, you see that it's talking about the body of Christ, and this body is an it. And so, when it says, "When one member of the body suffers," then all the members of the body suffer, which would then mean the opposite also. When one member of the body rejoices, then that makes availability for the other members, members of the body to rejoice. And that's entanglement. That goes to show that <laughs> here's scripture about it long before it was ever written by Einstein and, and, by, and, and the concept by Isaac Newton. Uh, these things were in the word of God. And, and it is so beautiful and so awesome. And, and when we begin to realize then there must be deep, deep word of God revelations in this uh, book of Exodus and in the rest of the books that Moses wrote. And to know those meanings and to receive those meanings uh, is something that has a, the, the offering to be collectively shared with the body. And as you come into it, you open up that revelation and you send it out there in the, the thinking uh, part of the waves of, of time and space where other people can also share that revelation because now it's been, it's been opened up. And that has always been the case, like in the second chapter of, of Genesis when uh, things like plants and, and herbs and the, all those kind of things and et cetera uh, were already created uh, in, in, in the mind of wisdom and, and they were potentially ready to be presented as a mass and as a physical substance. Uh, but there first had to be a transition that moved them from that one state of being a thought, a virtual reality, into the other state of being a literal uh, reality. 
And this is what all of these teachings are about. That's why they're so very important. Now, we have the angels really revealed big time in the Exodus escape. And um, uh, it's it's major. Uh, It's a major revelation about the angels of God. And it's a major revelation about about spirit. Now, the Bible tells us that um, that there was this thing that happened. There were these pillars that are described in Exodus thirteen twenty one. That in the daytime uh, they appeared as a cloud, and in the evening, the nighttime, they appeared as a fire. And these pillars were of the nature that the children of Israel would follow the movement of these pillars that were in the sky and that when they stopped, then all of the, 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 the army of, of Israel stopped and they would stay in their tents or in their, in their areas and they would wait for the, for the clouds to move. Now, no doubt there was probably uh, certain peoples that were assigned to, to keep track day and night if the pillars would move because they were capable to, to uh, uh, move their army in the daytime or the night because they had the cloud that uh, you know gave light and direction in the daytime, and they had uh, the the uh, which was a pillar, and they had the pillar uh, that gave uh, light at the nighttime by this what was called a fire, and uh, and they would sit there. Sometimes uh, they might sit there for for maybe several days and not move, and then all of a sudden someone would blow a trumpet and say the cloud is moving. And everyone would pack up real fast, get their animals uh, and utensils, and, and then they would take off and they would follow the cloud. Those clouds uh, were called pillars of, you know, of light and fire uh, were obviously uh, involved with, with angelic uh, 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 entities, and we need to know about them. We need to know about the spirit in which they led uh, the people of, of Israel. And how that, uh, one of the things that God told Moses, he said, my angels go, will go before you. And uh, they, they will chase out uh, these people that are living in the land that uh, I want you delivered from. Uh, and they will use hornets and, and you know, bugs and plagues or whatever is necessary. So this is very, very powerful. And, and um, now there is a, a, a word as we start, because uh, I want to I talk again about the name, about this thing about the name, the Tetragrammaton and that. I want to make sure you really have this down. And there's a name in the uh, uh, Peace Bible that we use uh, to describe... Um, uh, this thing about about you know God, you know when when it says in the beginning uh, God createth 
the, the uh, heavens and the earth. Um, we look at the word Elohim, which can be plural, and, and it can mean gods. But um, it doesn't always work out to translate it as gods, uh, even though that is a legitimate term. Uh, but it, it seems to sometimes take away the credit from the Almighty God. And so how do we go about giving the credit uh, to the angels, to the, the gods, uh, and also give the credit uh, to, you know, the, the God of gods and the Lord of lords? Well, one of the ways is we have to understand that many of the people that were speaking in the name of God, they were representing God, but they were not God. And they weren't always a perfect representative because, you know, they didn't always have the advanced spirituality to be a perfect uh, representative. And one of the names that we come up with in the Peace Bible is Manifold God. Now that is an absolutely awesome and beautiful um, uh, important word. In Psalms 104.24, it says, How manifold are thy works. In wisdom uh, have you made them all. How manifold are thy works. In wisdom have you made them all. For the earth is full of your riches. So we have then this word manifold. And in the Peace Bible, we use that word. In the, in, in the beginning, manifold God created the heavens and the earth. And that is such a beautiful word because manifold God includes the word Lord, capital L, capital O, o capital R, capital D, uh, that is the Tetragrammaton. And we'll talk about that some more in a little bit here. Uh, which which includes Yah and Yah, which translates to Father and Son. And 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 so we, we have that. But then it doesn't limit it to that because it's manifold. And so within the manifold God, there is uh, the the body of the of the Son called the body of Christ which in the New Testament turns out to be the people that are members of the body that belong to Jesus Christ because they were his before the fall ever took place. They belong to him as part of the host of the Ophanim. And so they are body of Christ entities. And, and so... Here, when you use the word manifold, you incorporate them. You include them as well, and with their small capital G for gods, which also can mean angels. Now, if you look up the word for Lord, uh, it will also show you that that tetragrammaton, uh, or if you look up, uh, pardon me, the word uh, you know, where it, uh, it, it says uh, God for Elohim, uh, you'll see in either case, it can mean gods, it can mean angels, okay? 
So, as we looked at this and as we consider this, um, let's just briefly go over this thing about the Tetragrammaton. We have um, these four letters, Y-H-W-H. And we explained that in the uh, translation uh, in the Hebrew, the W and the V are equivalent. They are the same thing. So you can use either a, a W or a V. Now, here is something I think you can really appreciate because you've heard me use the word um, akava, and I've used that uh, quite often, uh, in, you know, uh, and uh, in the Hebrew of uh, 262 and 263 uh, Hebrew Dictionary. And it is uh, so very, very important to really get uh, the full connection to that because here's, here's what has happened. There is a new Strong's Concordance uh, that has been out for a while, and there's two new um, uh, scholars that have gone over all of Strong's concepts and uh, and they've they've made a few modifications. I've looked at quite a few of them. I, I agree with most of them. Don't agree with all of them. Uh, but one of the um, the interesting uh, modifications also uh, you know uh, gives us some special insight because as we as we look at the Akava, uh, they 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 changed that to a totally different word. Um, and and uh, by changing that to a totally different word, uh, it, it, um, it, it's just a matter of how they arranged uh, the, the vowels and, and how that they did, uh, you know, a, a couple of those changes. Um, but when we look at this, and this is something that you can check out for yourself, it verifies the very things that I have been teaching <clears throat> about the Tetragrammaton, about the manifold God. Uh, it is so beautiful when from word to word and from revelation to revelation that though that word on word and revelation to revelation builds on each other and verifies from the one point to the next point all the things that we have been saying. And so um, we're going to, to get into that here in, in just a little bit between the, uh, the, the Akava and, and, um, and what some of these uh, other terms are. Uh, that have, have been used. And sometimes when I talk about the YHVH or the YHWH, I call them constants, constants instead of consonants because they are, in my opinion, locked in, word, locked in letters that have meanings beyond anything that, that people can even imagine. And they are not something that can be changed, uh, they can be modified within 
the the provision that is uh, made available to them, uh, but they can never never lose the sense of uh, of the uh, the full uh, revelation. I showed you last week that with just a few changes of the vowels, uh, and, you know that that you could end up with um, with wawa in, instead of instead of uh, you know. Uh, uh, yah and jaw, and and uh, that's how very important it is to know that that the uh, YHWH or the YHVH uh, has um, uh, a connection and insight uh, beyond anything that is is uh, simple, uh, because it is deeply compelling, it is deeply involved. And uh, you, you just can't shake it off as, as some temporary thing. Uh, it, it, it is major, and the revelation of it is beyond the beyond the beyond. <clears throat> now we're going to get into more and more of that as we, um, as we, we look at that. But it's, it's so interesting that, um, you know, we've, we've talked about uh, in the book of Revelations, we've talked about the seven spirits of God. And in the, um, uh, the, the Seven Thunders Before Genesis book, uh, we describe uh, that as being, um, you know, uh, uh, gods uh, that were uh, host, uh, and they were over all, they were over these different universes. And each of these different universes brought through, uh, forth uh, a different kind of, of uh, entity. Like there's the cherubim, the seraphims, the seraphim, uh, the seraphim, the cherubim, uh, the ophanim. And, and then, of course, there's another four groups that it explains in that book. Um, it is so very important to, to, uh, to see how that the differences of, of, of translation. For instance, in um, Psalms 82.1, not the King James, but the RSV, it says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. That's Psalms 82.1, RSV, which is a perfect then scriptural description of this revelation that we give about the seven kinds of, of angels, which are called seven spirits of God, which are the ancients that are over the saints that overcame the different universes. And those, those things are so absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Now, I want to accentuate this thing about spirit. I want to accentuate this thing about spirit. And I want to tell you how deep that the, 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 the writings of Moses are and how that they are so rich with, with a revelation about spirit. There was this time when, 
when uh, Moses was just not able to handle uh, the work that he was doing, that he is anointed for. Uh, you know, the Bible does say, I, I will put no load on you more than you can, you can handle or contain. And, and that was a promise. And uh, he had been given this ability. But Moses didn't have the self-confidence sometimes. He didn't feel like he was a good speaker like his brother Aaron was. So uh, he says, God, I'm, I just can't speak clear enough, and, and, uh, and uh, you need to choose someone else to, to, to do the presentation. So then Aaron was chosen. Then he says, I can't handle all the work that there is. It's just too much. So then the Lord said, okay, choose 70 elders. And 70 elders were chosen, and then the Lord appeared to Moses, and the Bible says the Lord took spirit the spirit that was upon Moses, a portion of it, not all of it. He knew exactly how to divide it. He understood the math. He understood uh, the methodology. Um, and he took portions and, and he, of that spirit anointing, and he put it on those 70 elders. Now, did all the 70 elders have to be there when that happened? No, there were two of them that were totally off in another place. But even though... They did not know that it was the exact moment that, that this was happening. Even they did not hear directly by their, by their spirit and the action of the spirit. At the same time, any of the 70 elders received a part of the spirit of Moses. They also, even though they were some distance away, and this is another example of entanglement, uh, you know, you know what happens to one member happens to another member. So that people, they affect other people sometimes without knowing it. And you have a real obligation as a member of the body of Christ, what you do, how you do, why you do what you do, because it can affect other people and, and be negative or be positive. And so those two that were not there, they began to prophesy just as the other of the 70 began to prophesy uh, because it, they, it happened, it, they were imbued at the same time. Now this thing about then spirit uh, is big in, in uh, the, the revelation uh, of, of Moses. Now, Gentile. This is why it's so important to understand this revelation of Gentile, generative touch. Something that is generated is something that is energized by spirit in the Bible. So this generating power, energizing power, is something that happens. Now in Gentile, we've got lots of scriptures about the Gentile revelation. For instance, in Ephesians 4.23, it says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, how does someone just say to, to somebody, you know, Oh, I need to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. Because a lot of people didn't even realize that spirit was so distinctive that it can have applications such as this application of being specifically attached to, involved with, to the mind. The mind can include both the brain and the power of comprehension and consciousness. And so 
When it says, be renewed in the spirit of the mind, that's Gentile, ladies and gentlemen. That's absolutely Gentile. That's the revelation of Gentile, Ephesians 4.23. And when it says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. We begin to see once again, there is division, there is addition, there is multiplication, there is specific handling by the word of God as to the meaning of what the spirit is or can be. So when the Bible says in the first chapter of John, you know, and it talks about the body, it talks about the word, the, the, the word being a body of revelation, that when it talks about the word, it says, and the word was made flesh. Now we see that something that is like spirit, word spirit, can actually be turned into flesh. So when we talk about renewing the spirit of your mind, which includes the physical aspects of your brain, this is confirmation that Gentile can speak to the brain, can speak to the mind, and can renew the mind, which then will go, f uh, go forth with his messages and renew the body. It's pure Gentile, and it's absolutely, essentially beautiful. And it's, it, it, it is quick because it's what the Bible often refers to as the quickenings and the rushings. So it, it can be very, very quick. Now, guess what? And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break here in just a minute, but I want to say something first. I'm going to do Gentile here today, and I'm going to do it for cataracts, because I had a situation where when I went and checked with the uh, optometrist, and he looked at my eyes, and this goes back for quite a few years, uh, uh, he says, well, you know, you, you have cataracts, and you have them on both eyes. And um, so he said, someday, you know, uh, that will have to be dealt with, and those cataracts will, you know, have to be removed. And, uh, well, I didn't like that idea. I didn't like the idea about having to, you know, and, 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 uh, and, uh, and although I know different people having that operation have been very successful, but, but uh, you know, I'm my own kind of cut, my own kind of person. And so I prayed to God, and I said, God, if I'm ever going to be able to do anything with Gentile, you know, I said, why can't I do something with Gentile and remove cataracts? And, and, uh, and I said, I need an experience. I'd like to work on myself because I'm a little bit leery to go out and like do Gentile on my wife or, or on uh, other people that I know. Uh, I want to just, uh, I'd, like, I'd like to do it on myself. Uh, you know, I, I, I need your help. Okay, now, when I uh, got my driver's license some long time ago, several years ago, they were very emphatic that I had to wear glasses when I drove the car. That was absolutely required and was right on my license. And if I would be caught by a policeman, if he stopped me and I did not have my glasses on, I could get fined. I could get a ticket. Well, one day after I had made this prayer, 
And, and, and because now how did I know, how did I personally know I had a cataract? Well, if I would look out of my eye a certain way, there would, there would be a spot way out from my eye. And that, I knew that that spot that was blocking some vision was a cataract. Then one day after I had made that prayer, the cataract uh, or whatever that spot was, it moved down further on the side of my eye. And I thought, wow, that's really strange. Is that, is that better or is that worse? Well, I decided it had to be for better. I, I just believed it had to be. Well, I want to tell you that what was happening is that cataract was being dissolved. And th those cataracts were, were being decrystallized and they were sliding off of my eyeballs. So all of a sudden I started noticing I could read things in small print that I couldn't read before. I could see distances I couldn't see before. And, and I began to realize, you know, I think something has happened. I went to the doctor, to the optometrist, and I wanted to check my eyes. And I checked my eyes, and, and, the, and the lady says, how old are you? And I said, 77. She says, well, you have really good vision. You are 20-20 vision. And she says, uh, she says uh, you do not need glasses. She says, I noticed on your report you're supposed to have glasses. But she says, you do not need glasses anymore for driving because your, your eyes are very, very good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break, and we'll all be back. Janet Lee.
Well, thank you again, Janet Lee. And those uh, keys on the fingers are doing their job. All right. Okay. <clears throat> so back to the Gentile. So the word of the Lord, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing, to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. And this understanding the soul in this case is body soul. And then spirit shows that there is a, there is a differentiation between what is called a spirit and between what is called a soul when you're talking being a body soul. Now there's also a spirit soul, but in this case, because of the context, it's talking a body soul. Now it says that there can be a dividing. There can be a, a, a dividing. Well, you know, um, I, I've been really waiting before the Lord on quite a few things. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I have waited before the Lord on is, um, you know, how does a person achieve what uh, Moses achieved? Because there is literally a scripture in which it says that Moses was able to see the invisible God. And that that does not sound like that would be possible because the Bible says that flesh cannot see the invisible God. So what happened to Moses that allowed Moses to see the invisible God? Now there's literally scripture for that and if I can have the time I'll give it to you uh, this week or next week you'll get it. Well, God revealed it to me and it was so awesome because uh, and before that, I, I, I say what I'm going to say is I often had wondered why that I've had several experiences of dematerialization, uh, which people have seen it happen. People have seen parts of my body disappear, uh, uh, just absolutely disappear. Uh, people have seen um, within when we've been uh, like uh, in our church meetings, uh, we've had things uh, like sometimes a pole or, or uh, uh, some other particular thing just disappear right in the, me right in the meeting before people's eyes. Uh, and we knew that it wasn't just uh, taken away and gone, but it was just into a dematerialization. That means uh, it was changed from a molecular form uh, and, and disengaged from that molecular form uh, and, and made uh, like invisible. So that we know that in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that things uh, uh, th that are seen, which means mass, you know, which means uh, things that are physical, um, you know, and, and things that have um, substance, Things that are seen are made of, uh, made of things that do not appear. Now, why did God tell us that? Well, there's a reason. And why does the Bible talk about the I am being the invisible God? And why, when Moses said, you know, like, I, I want to see God, and, and, and God, God's explained to him, uh, no, um, you, 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 you can't see God and, and live. No, no man can do that. But if you get behind the rock over here and I pass by, there'll be an experience and you'll be able to, you'll be able to see, see something very unusual. Well, God revealed this to me and it flipped me out. He says, well, 
Here's what happened when the shining came over the head of Moses. When the spinnings came over the head of Moses, over his face, his face disappeared, and the only thing that people saw there was this shining glory. Because his head, his eyes, his brain went into dematerialization. And that was the part that he was allowed to use to see God invisibly. Because he was in dematerialization some of those times when this Shekinah glory came over him and dematerialized his physical self. And so when we read scriptures here, like to the dividing, asunder of the soul, of the body, and the spirit, we have scripture to show that that happens. There can be a dividing asunder. There can be a dematerialization of the physical and the spirit. And when that happens, you can have those moments that are like long periods of time. That's when you can see the city of God. That's when other things can happen that are so absolutely awesome. And that's when that scripture that says that he, he saw he saw the invisible God. It, it, is just, it is just so utterly beautiful. So beautiful. Now, we know that the Spirit is so important because the Bible says the body without the Spirit is dead. And the Bible says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And I read to you Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That there, that there is this dividing asunder that needs to happen for you to move on to this higher fold. And it can happen, it will happen, as you begin to get these revelations. Now, 2 Peter 3.19 says of Jesus, who also, or which also, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Here was an interesting term that, with research you can find that connects to this, called an interval divide, in which he was able to go into this interval of the spirit realm for this short period of time and minister spirit to spirit to these spirits that were in prison. And when people think that you can just minister to these spirits and you're fully in your human body with all its problems and all its animal and all its, its difficulties, uh, it can be dangerous for you. You have to know what you're doing. It can be dangerous for you. People don't understand like, like there's this one woman, the Bible says, that had demons. And she got her demons cast out of her. And then she didn't do anything about it. She just took it for granted. And the Bible says the demons that had been cast out, they came back. 
And they looked and they said, wow, there's no new furniture. There's nothing new been added. There's no protections. There's no Holy Spirit here blocking. We can go back in, but we're going to need to be stronger than we were before in case they try to cast us out again. So the Bible says those demons go and they get other demons and bring them in with them so that they're twice the number than they were before because that person didn't do anything about balancing the equilibrium and there is a law of nature. Anything that is displaced, anything that is, is made less, the, there has to be a balance. And, and, and so that displacement will have to be filled by something. Now, as we begin to get into this, you know, in um, Psalms 104.30, the Bible says, Thou sendest forth thy spirit. They, now get this word, T-H-E-Y, they, it's a pronoun, thou sendest forth thy spirit. They are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. Well, if you really get into reading what happens there, just before that, if you get into, I think it's 104.39, you will find that it says something like, you know, God speaks to them and he takes away their breath because they're not being obedient, they're not doing the right things for God. He takes away their breath and they die. And then what happens after that? Well, then after this a period of time, the Bible says, that they, the same they that refers to those people that died and the breath was taken away, that God renews them. He renews them. We've got to understand this thing about spirit. What does Proverbs 20.27 say? Proverbs 20.27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the, bill, of the belly. You want to find out about yourself. You want to find out about other people. You want to find out about nature. You want to find out about the animal uh, man, the animal woman. The tool, the energy, the force, the power the double-edged sword that was given to divide and to do that is the spirit. And the spirit of man, not to say the spirit of God. It says the spirit of man. You're, you're man, you're, you're man. Woe man or man, you're man. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. He uses your spirit to search within you and to do the work within you, and that's why Gentile is so important. Because it is the spirit-to-spirit -spirit revelation of this age. You know, body-to-body -body is good, the laying on of hands, that's good, that's flesh-to-flesh. -flesh. 
But spirit to spirit is the very tool that exceeds beyond all of that. And everywhere you go, the Bible says, is possessed by the spirit. Psalms 139.7, Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? Verse 8, If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. The Spirit is in all of those places. Those things are so very, very, very important. Now, let's just take a break and talk on this thing about Akava. And you remember we've, we've been through this revelation on the Tetragrammaton, the four letters. But let's look and see what the old Strong's very, very, absolutely top scholar. Strong's was an utterly top scholar. And he, he wrote in the Strong's Concordance in um, a number, Hebrew number uh, 262-263, and he used the word akava, A-C-H-A-V-A-H, akava. And this is how he translated it and described it meaning the solution to riddles. Or, as they, in here, they call it the declaring and showing. Well, it means the same thing. Showing you the answer, showing you the way, declaring the facts. But it's more beautifully said, I think, in the original Strong's, the solution of riddles. But then he spells that A-C-H-A-V-A-H. So he is using the very translation technique that I used with Yahya because he is using a V instead of a W. But now what is the new translation by the, these new top scholars recognized all over the world? Well, it's Awah-Yah. A-H-W-A-Y-A-H. Awah-Yah. Instead of Akava. So they have taken, and let's, let's take this last H, of the Tetragrammaton, the last H, and they added a vowel before it, which would be the A. And so when we say the Akava, we got A, H as the two last consonants. When we take the Awaya, we have the last two, the A and the H. Now, when we take the Akava, we have a V, but the new translation, they put a Y, which is part of what I did when I said Yah and Yah. So at the end of the letter, they have the same name that I have for the translation of the Tetrachromaton, the Yah and the Yah. And at the front part of it, they've got Ah. And they leave off the Y in front of it and just have an ah instead. But this other party has A-C-H-A. 
Now, if you carefully get this, this, these two books and carefully analyze them, you will see how that this actually shows that what they have done with this new uh, translation of the word, ah-wah-ah, they have moved the W up in front of the vowel and felt that that was totally legal to do that. And in Hebrew, it is legal to do that. It's also illegal to do the way it was before with a V, which, which, which in translation can mean and. So that you've got, you know, you've got uh, ak and ya. So there's an extra meaning of what the A and the C meant as far as solution and some of those ideas. That, ladies and gentlemen, is just all there as proof. It's just all there in the Word of God. Whether shall you go to flee from, from finding the truth? <laughs> just look in puddles of junk, you know, and, 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 uh, and just pay attention to the junk, you know, and, and, and don't catch on and don't realize that if you really looked hard enough, that even if you were looking in hell, you would end up seeing that the Spirit of God is also there. Because you just can't escape the real wonderful thing that God does in nature. Blessed be the name of God. Now, in, um, in Exodus 40, let's just, let's, just, let's just read that because it, it, it's got something fascinating, something beautiful about it. Exodus 40. And verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So there is the filling of the tabernacle. And this filling of the tabernacle is very important because when you get into the 30, 60, and 100-fold, the degrees of filling, the degrees of filling something is the di difference of the achievement and where you are in a state of existence. And here we find that an opposite thing happens. Moses has had the experience that he can see into the invisible world, but then the standard tent, he's not allowed to go into it because the glory of the Lord has blocked him from going into it. So, what is the message there? Probably totally different than most people have ever preached it. They just probably said, oh, isn't that wonderful? The glory of God was so much that he couldn't even go in to the tent where, you know, we had the, 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 the holy articles or so forth. Hey, I want to tell you that there is a time of graduation when some of these holy articles just aren't needed anymore. 
Those were just symbolic things, and there's scripture for that. They're symbolic things that you move beyond them. So what does God do? Well, God takes his holy presence, his glory, and he fills it so full that you cannot move in there by the Spirit. Because that glory that's in there is, is, a, is, is a high intensity of spirit. So sometimes it's just the opposite of other times. Sometimes God doesn't want you to move into a place that is full of the glory of God that pertains to a different level. So the scripture says that we have to move on to perfection, not laying again the same experience, same foundation. And we're going to get into this thing about the mark on the forehead and how that, that mark is an incredible revelation and how that it has to do with the prize of moving on toward the prize of the mark of the high calling. So when we come into the revelation of that mark on the forehead and we come into the understanding of fulfilling it, as we fulfill it, then there is a prize out there. There is a goal out there. There is a revelation out there. There is a mountain peak out there which takes us to that moment beyond the beyond and allows us to enter so close to God, so wrapped up in God, that we finally realize that that fullness takes us out of the consequential experiences that belong to lower mass and lower experiences and lesser spirituality. So, and when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in their journey. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. That's called moving by the Spirit, ladies and gentlemen. This is almost a lost art. People want to move when they feel the compunction and, 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 and the unction to do what their desire is, to do what they lean toward, what their flesh wants. And they want to, they want to give in to that flesh. They want to, to, to satisfy that flesh. And God is saying, these people learned that what the cloud was. Well, what was that cloud? They were called pillars. And in the book of Pillar, in the book of, of, uh, of uh, Proverbs, it talks about the, the, the seven pillars of God have been cut out. And these, these pillars are really divine things. And we, we, we discover in the book of the 68th chapter and the, I think it's the 17th verse, and the 18th verse, that there were, there were as many as 20,000 angels and their chariot ships, we call ziths, 
that were involved in this cloud. This cloud was thousands of angels, thousands of, of ships, and they could remove remotely or locally. They could be there or not be there by being in both places at the same time, any time that they desired to because of their advanced technology and advanced capabilities. And people were learning this beautiful thing about spirit to spirit. If the cloud that is a pillar of, of, of light by day and a pillar of fire by night, and someone says, well, why'd they need, the, why'd they need that fire for? <laughs> why do you need the Holy Ghost? Why does the Bible say that you be filled with the Holy Ghost and fire? Holy Ghost is not sufficiently fulfilled by itself. It has to have that next noun describing it called fire. Holy Ghost and fire is an absolutely essential aspect to have the fullness of the mark of the name of God written on your forehead. And we'll get into the scriptures on that in a little bit. And so this fire has a specific meaning, and it's so very important. And these people were learning by the Spirit. If the cloud didn't move, they didn't move. Well, wonder if the cloud didn't move for three or four days, then they would not move. Why? Because the Spirit knew something. Maybe some army was out there looking for them, and if they had gone ahead, they would have ran right into them. The angels knew. And what does it say about the angels? It says, and he gave charge unto the angels that he might lift up his feet, lest he dash his feet against the pricks or against the stones. And that also referred to common people, that that there's the revelation of God, the revelation of the Spirit, that it knows when to pick you up, to keep you from dashing your feet into some destructive type of thing. And so the Spirit would just wait. They would just wait. And they would not move because they had Moses to tell them. If they hadn't had Moses and Joshua, they would have moved and been destroyed. As other times they did. There's experiences in which they did not go to Moses, did not go to Joshua, and the men just wanted to go out, and they found out that there's this little city, not that many people, and if they, they went out there and beat them, they had beautiful women, you know, that they could grab hold of and, and uh, take them as wives and molest them, rape them, take all their gold, their silver. And so they decided to get a, the army together, and they went out there with 10,000 men, and that little small group of guys were just experts at archery and experts uh, at, at fighting, and they just went out there and killed a whole bunch of them, chased them, chased them off, and made them look like hind ends because there was no cloud over them. No angels protecting them. No angels lifting them up, lest they dash their feet against the pricks. The importance of this incredible revelation is Gentile all the way through. 
spirit-to-spirit revelation, spirit-to-spirit healing, spirit-to-spirit deliverance. What would we do without Exodus? How long would we have to wait for some new revelation and new person to rise? A person who said, when I leave, there will come another person like unto me who will take my place. And who would we find that would be able to, to, to reveal such an incredible thing as called the Passover? What an incredible word. Where did the word even come from? Where did the idea ever come from? Because, you know, to pass, to, take, to, to pass from one place to another, or to find a pass that allows you to get through a, a place where there's obstructions or, or where there's raging rivers or, or high mountains, but there's a pass that if you take it, you can get through. And if you want to get over the obstacles and over the troubles and, and over the sickness and over the difficulties, then you add the word over to it and say the pass over. And then God revealed to Moses and Moses revealed it to his people Then he got it from the cloud that was up above and the angels that were up above and they spoke to him and told him these incredible revelations and names. And there's a song. I will, I will pass, I will pass over you. Well, that is exactly what one of the revelations in the book of Ezekiel. If we go to the book of Ezekiel, we find something. Let's let's just let's just turn there. I think it's Ezekiel nine, and let's read it because it's very very powerful. There's a lot of things here in, in Ezekiel, but you know, it's connected to a lot of things from. From this other wonderful revelation of Exodus escape. Now let's look. Chapter 9. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon on in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate. Now, higher gate. We've got to conquer the higher gate, people, if we want to be something different than nothing, something different than less. Which lieth toward the north. And every man, and every man a slaughter we weapon on in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. If all the things were written that should be written, John writes, the writer's inkhorn by his side. The Word, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And the Word was made flesh. And they called that flesh Jesus the Christ. The writer's inkhorn. How important it is to understand Einstein's equation that energy can equal mass and mass can equal energy. Because it's another way of saying that the word, which is energy, can be changed to mass like flesh. And then flesh can be changed back to become energy. When people begin to understand Einstein's equation was already in the Bible. Big time. Because the whole idea of conversion and of translation from one state to another state is all part of the revelation of the Spirit. And so we go on. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with the linen, which had a writer's ink horn by his side, and he said unto him, now get a hold of this, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry because of all of the abominations that be done in the land. There are people that do care about the sick. There are people that do care about those that are committing atrocities toward the Spirit and toward God and against God. There are people that do care that there are people suffering and dying without the Savior. And the writer's ink, the guy writing the story, was to put it down and put it in print so that story could pass on from generation to generation to generation to generation. And people could know how important that it was. And he says, here is what you are to do. And be sure that you do this. He said, you are to take and all of those that cry, he says, you are to you are to put a mark in their forehead. Let's read it again. Verse 4 of chapter 9, Ezekiel. And the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Tetragrammaton, the Yah and the Yah, said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, go through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry, the foreheads of the people that really care. And he says in verse 6, as you go out and you're, and, and, and you're slaying and, and you're witnessing the utterly old and young and the men and the women and even children being destroyed, he said, but one thing that you will not do, one thing that you will be obedient about, you will not bother any of the people who have the mark. All of the people that have the mark, you will not dare to touch them. They are protected by that mark. Now, 
what do we want to share about this? Oh, it is, it is just so beautiful. Who was the first person to reveal about the mark? Well, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses did. And Moses received this revelation about Cain. Now, Cain was a, had killed Abel, but Abel's blood, which is the life of the body, cried out from the ground. And I understand what happened. Abel was in the spirit world. And he saw what was going to happen to his brother that had killed him. And he cried out from the ground and he pleaded for his brother Cain that he would not be killed, he would not be destroyed, he would not lose his soul, and he made a whole argument as to why he was in the state that he was. And there's a whole story, and in, the, in, in all of the, the new additions that have been put into the peace uh, uh, Bible, it tells this whole story and gives scripture for it. And it's beautiful. And so he pleaded and God heard it, and he put a mark on him. And that mark was so sensational that even people seeing him that didn't even know who he was, they just knew not to bother him or touch him. And they left him alone. And it makes us think. It makes us wonder. Well, what are these marks? Well, let's go to Revelations chapter 12. And let's look at, at verse, um, uh, uh, but not, uh, let's go, sorry, let me start over. Let's go to Revelation 3, verse 12. And let me read that to you. Revelation 3, verse 12. And here is what, what it says. Now listen to this. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Does that sound familiar? I'll make a pillar? What were the pillars? Well, the pillars were a group of over 20,000 angels described in the book of Psalms, 68th chapter, 17th, 18th verse. If you overcome, you're going to become an angel again. You're going to be restored to what you lost. You're going to become a pillar again. Now let's go on. And he shall go out no more. <laughs> He's going to be, one day be done with all this junk. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Ladies and gentlemen, this thing about the mark on the forehead is about the name of God. And that name of God incorporates also the city of God. Now, let's look at another scripture. Let's look at Revelations 14. And let me read that. 
Revelations 14. Revelations 14, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. What does the tetrachromaton? What did we tell you that those four letters represented? Yah and Yah, and what did we say that Yah and Yah was? Father and Son. <laughs> and what does this scripture say? And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 140 and 4,000, which are the foundation numbers and the wall numbers of Jerusalem, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice of heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping their harps. Now, let's look at Revelations 19, verse 12. And his eyes were a flame of fire. Oh, here we come with the fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. If you don't get this revelation through Jesus Christ, if you don't get this revelation through the Spirit, then you will not be able, you will not be able to know the new name. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you read carefully, you'll see that, that Lucifer, Satan, he uses that same technique. And, and, he, and he marks people. And, and the people that get his mark, they belong to a different group. Now, I'm running out of time. I haven't even hardly gotten started. We're going to have to have a, a part three. But I said I was going to do some Gentile. I'll make this fairly short. But I think it's very, very important that I, that I do this for you people that are having a lot of problems with your eyes. I just want to take you on this little journey. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus to thyroid, to the cerebrum, to the cerebellum, dendrite to dendrite, axion to axion, to axion. synapses to synapses, Bhutan terminal to Bhutan terminal. Begin to send messages to the the entire organization of the Bible of the body, to the circuits of the body, to the hormones of the body, to the cells of the body, and to the eyes. And those that are here that are fighting cataracts begin to cause this word to go out spirit to spirit across the synaphysis and begin to 
loosen those cataracts and a process that will eventually just move them from off of the eyes so that these people by spirit-to-spirit deliverance can be healed and see beautifully again. And let that mark of the name be written on their foreheads of the Father and the Son. And let that word that Jesus spoke and said, when you pray, pray after this fashion. My Father, my Father, oh, my Father, my Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, my Father. And let that name be written on their foreheads. Oh, God bless you. I hardly scratched this teaching. We'll get more into it next week. God bless you. Janet Lee at the organ.